You're listening to Satellite Sisters. What's a Satellite Sister? The person you call when the best thing in your life happens or the worst. The person that gets you up, gets you going, and gets you through. And every once in a while, changes your mind. This podcast is part pep talk, part weekly check-in. Like grabbing coffee with a friend. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Satellite Sisterhood. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. We're so glad you're here today. It's the 4th of July, 2023, but that does not stop us from podcasting. That's right. I'm Leon Dolan in Pasadena, California. I'm a writer, a producer, a podcaster, and today we're going to talk to some great guests. We're going to talk about books and food and zucchini. Liz, how are you doing today? I'm good. You know, yeah, happy 4th of July. I am in Bend, Oregon, which is just such a great place to spend the 4th of July. It's a beautiful time of year, but you know what they have going on in Bend on the 4th of July, the pet parade. Oh, yeah. Signature parade here in Bend, Oregon. So, uh, yeah, I'm all good, Liam. Thank you. We are going to spend this show talking to some really interesting guests. First up come Allie Frank and Asha Humans. They are co-authors of one of our best beach bag books of the summer, The Better Half. I just really, really enjoyed this book. It's the story of a middle-aged woman who has got a lot going on in her <laughs> life. Uh, so I can't wait to talk to Allie and to Asha. We look forward to that. Also coming up, Liz, we are talking to Cynthia Graubart. She is a James Beard award-winning author, and she is going to make you love zucchini. Trust me. Trust me on this okay. one. Okay. Okay. I'll try to keep an open mind, Leon. It's not my favorite. All right. Well, we do want to ask her the question of what her perfect summer meal is. So, Liz, I thought that could be our question of the day. What is your perfect summer meal? Well, this not isn't a whole meal, but if I'm having like a summer holiday meal, it must include deviled eggs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Remember, I made those horseradish deviled eggs on Cooking with Liz 2021, the summer of snacks. Uh, yeah, those uh, the devil, horseradish deviled eggs, such a winner. I'm going to make them again today. And then Gold Creek Salmon Barbecue, another Cooking with Liz winner. Just so delicious. Wow. Okay, Liz. So deviled eggs and salmon. That's, That's it. Great. Okay, fine. How about you? How about you? <laughs> well, I would say this, anything from the farmer's market. Like, I feel like I can build a lot of stuff around the fresh summer produce. Now, you know, some stuff in California, it's not the best in the summer because that's actually a really hot time in California. But if I can find some, you know, good tomatoes, some good herbs, anything with blueberries, got to make my mother's blueberry muffins. That's got to happen. Oh, yeah. I do like, you know, I like salad with grilled, some grilled fruit component. I enjoy uh, anything with like a feta cheese on it or a nice biting cheese. So I know this sounds vague, but I like to make it spur of the moment. Like what looks good in the market and yeah. then what can I put on the grill? So that's either going to be, maybe it's just a tri-tip because my family loves tri-tip. Grilled tri-tip is a fave. Uh, flank steak is a fave. Or some kind of halibut would be also a fave, some kind of fish. But that's it. The key for summer food is just freshness and sort of an informality, I think. You know, not not. But I would say in, in cooking with Liz world, spur of the moment is usually not a good idea. It just takes a little bit more planning for me, a little <laughs> bit more of a recipe than reading the recipe and following the recipe. I don't have your skills, Leanne. So 
So good for you. Just go go to the farmer's market and wing it. No improv for Liz when no. it comes to summer meals. All right. So we look forward to asking Cynthia that. Up next, we're going to be talking to Allie Frank and Asha Humans. This is kind of cool, Liz. They worked together as teacher and school administrator in Seattle, Washington. And then they discovered a shared mission as educators and as authors. They wanted to use humor and joy and compassion to write stories that encourage candid conversations about issues like race and religion and culture, class, privilege, parenting, and education. So we're looking forward to talking to them about their latest book, The Better How. Stay with us. Liz, summer is coming up, and you know what that means? It means you're grilling. You're grilling and chilling there with your your butcher box. What what do you got going on the grill this summer? Well, you know, here's the thing. Because I'm going to be up in in Bend for part of the summer, I'm having my box sent there, Leanne. That's great. Go on vacation with your butcher box is what what I'm recommending. (laughs) By the way, you're just going to buy meat and fish and stuff when you get there. Why do that? Anyway, I love their steaks. I love their scallops. The scallops are really good. And the chicken thighs, all good. I'm ready. That's right. ButcherBox gives you peace of mind and easy-to-find high-quality meat and seafood you can trust. It's 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork that's raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood, no antibiotics or added hormones. And as Liz said, delivered right to your doorstep. And you can customize that delivery plan, Liz. Right. Because it can go wherever you want it to go, whenever you want it to go. If you want to delay it a week, you know, speed it up a week, you just go to your ButcherBox account and you can make that all happen. It's so easy to manage online. Yeah. And if you're like Liz, you can take your ButcherBox on vacation, which is... That's nice. That's nice. Nice to have something familiar there. (laughs) Yes. So if you want to take your meat on vacation, sign up at butcherbox.com slash sisters and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional 20% off. So you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash sisters and use code sisters to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Thanks, ButcherBox. Oh, we're so excited to talk to the co-writers of The Better Half. The Better Half was one of our Satellite Sisters' best beach bag books this year. And I think if you've read it, you know why, because it just does not stop. That main (laughs) character goes through so much stuff. So we are excited to have Allie Frank and Asha Yeomans here to talk about it. They're joining us from Seattle uh, together because you guys are co-writers. So let's just start with that question. Like, when did you start working together and how did this happen? Because co-writers of novels, still unusual, right? Well, and particularly black and white co authors are really unusual. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. You want to, you want to start with how we met? Well, um, we met here at a small independent school in Seattle where I was the pre-K teacher and Allie was assistant head of school. And besides joining me for the fabulous dance parties in my classroom, um, he and I worked most closely together on the admissions team. So he, Fun and hilarity and absurdity of evaluating three and four and five year olds um, for their place in a, an exclusive private school um, really struck a humorous chord for both of us. 
And we bonded quite a bit over our shared sense of humor um, and our love of families, kids, and education. Oh, okay. So then how did you, um, Ali, how did you make the swing to writing fiction? Because it's one thing to like all those things, but it's another thing to want to put it down on paper and maybe torpedo your own careers. So how did that happen, Allie? <laughs> Absolutely. Torpedo is the perfect word for it. Well, Asha um, actually left that school to start her own catering company. And then I left that school to start my own school with another amazing educator. And in the process of starting this new school, um, I was visiting schools all over the West Coast. And I happened to be visiting one school in San Francisco. And it just really hit me in that school. It was during admissions season. And the director of admissions, I happened to know well for my years living in the Bay Area. And she is a very, very dark-skinned Black woman in a school whose color palette is very white and pale yellow. And there are all these white parents hovering around her like, sending me daggers in their eyes, like, hurry up and be done with your conversation. We need her attention. And it just hit me like, God, what a fascinating story. This idea of a Black woman holding the keys to the kingdom that all the white people wanted. It's unfortunately more reversal scenario than typical scenario. And that was the impetus of the kernel of the idea for our first novel, Tiny Imperfections, and to make a very long story short, uh, a few weeks later, I called up Asha. I mean, we had never, neither of us had ever written a book. I mean, Asha had written narrative report cards. I had written a nonfiction article. And I called her up pre-2020 and very ineloquently in my language, but eloquently in my enthusiasm said, oh my God, Asha, let's like get together and talk about race in schools. And I answered with, who the hell is this? <laughs> it is true. It is true. But Asha took me for best intentions. And we had coffee. And I pitched her my idea. And um, ignorance is bliss. And we said, let's do it. And 14 months later, we had our first book purchased by Penguin Random House. That's an amazing story. That's a great yeah. story. Yeah, that's a great story. And you said it in this. Have all three of your books been set in school settings? So these three, yes. We are actually in the midst of editing our fourth book right now, which is set in an airport. Our first three books, like that's kind of our trilogy of uh, school books. The first book is a director of admissions. Second is a kindergarten teacher. Third is a head of school. And now we're done. We're ready to... Yeah. Move on. Yeah, you're ready. You've said all you have to say about uh, private school admissions, but, uh, you know, not before people read the better half, because your main yeah. character there, it sounds a lot like what you were just talking about, is Nina Morgan Clark. She's a smart, talented, driven woman. She's 43, and she feels like she's just hitting her stride. Uh, she's just become the first Black female first-generation head of school at the storied Royal Hawking School in Pasadena, California. That's right. This book is set in my hometown in a world I know well. But I want to talk about your main character, Asha. How do you describe Nina and where did she come from? Is this sort of, how do, how do you describe her? Um, I would say that Nina is caught between a bunch of different worlds. One, that she's the child of immigrant parents. 
so that she's grown up with largely American ideals, but has been raised by uh, parents who were not born of this country. And so sometimes those ideas may conflict. They may run along the same lines, but um, there are a lot of judgments in her life that she has to make. And being the child of immigrant parents does um, influence uh, the decisions that she makes. She's also sort of at this pinnacle that she thinks of her achievements in life. Um, she's, she's made it. She's got a great kid, great family, wonderful friends, fabulous career that she's worked so hard for after just keeping her nose to the grindstone and educating herself. And, and now she's looking at the other half of her life, but in fact, there could be a downside to it. She thinks she's at the pinnacle and going to stay there, but sometimes there's some slippery slopes on the other side. He has to navigate that. Um, Nina is also between two worlds in the sense of uh, her cultural identity. Um, we drew from the Zornel Hurston quote, not all skin folk are kin folk. No good. Meaning that she's a Black woman, but she's not a monolith of the um, African diaspora or the Black community or womanhood. She has an opinion of her own. And there is conflict with another uh, teacher, uh, a Black teacher, in the book that I think it can inform readers that of that point, that not everybody that you see just because they look the same feels the same, thinks the same, um, or has had the same life experience. So we wanted to explore that. So Nina's caught between a, a bunch of different worlds in this book, and we get the chance to watch her um, navigate all of that. Yeah, and it's, it's really fun to watch her navigate it, but there also are a lot of serious things she comes up against. But this is Liz. I like the fact that your character is a woman in her 40s. It's nice to see a woman a little further along in her life where she has these feelings about her accomplishments because lots of this kind of fiction are women that are just out having a grand old time. Sure, <laughs> and I add one more conflict that she has, and that's in the big life decisions she has to make, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, um, and I, I don't want to give away too many. No, toys. we're not going to give away that. No, but it's, it's big. It's big. Yeah, there's a, there's a BLD in there, a big life decision for sure. Feel in the book um, that I also think is largely attributed to younger women having to make. Mm -hmm. And that's not always true. That older women have to make this life decision plenty of times as well. And we want to include that. Um, to give her perspective and the perspective of someone in that sort of seasoned um, arena of their life. Well, as Liz mentioned, the book has a lot of juicy storylines, which sort of makes it fun for summer, like things are happening and people are coming and going and there are complications. But there are also some really serious discussions along the way about rancher and expectations of professional women. But I have to say, as a reader, these sections are really seamless. It's not like you just plop some social justice storyline on top of a normal novel and the conversations are really organic. They come right out of the characters and they come right out of the situations. And I'm sure that is a lot of hard work. Allie, how do you two work together to make those sections of the book sound so normal? <laughs> sound, sound like just real people talking about these in a real setting. Because, I, I, you know, We've normally had a lot of these conversations. If you live in, and work in a multicultural situation, that's a part of your life, but you rarely see that in books. 
Sure. Well, Asha and I have two, um, I would say a mission in a, uh, of our writing and a vision for us as writers. So the mission of our writing for all three books, and we'll continue regardless of the setting of our books, is that there are plenty of phenomenal stories out there that explore the trauma and drama of marginalized groups. We really believe in the entertainment world that is covered. Unfortunately, we also believe there aren't enough stories about marginalized groups that are told through humor, through joy, through laughter, through love. And our mission in our books is to explore those challenging topics that you just mentioned, but through joy, laughter, and love. So that's sort of our 10,000-foot mission. And that our vision as writers is that even though Ash is Black and I'm white, Ash is Baptist, I'm Jewish, we write every character together from a human and humanity perspective first. Ash is not writing the Black characters and I'm writing the white character. All the other ones. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> imagining how you would divvy that up because there's a lot of yeah. different characters in your book. It yeah. has a million. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're writing humans first and then their race and their religion and their gender and their family, um, you know, structures and what that looks like. Again, we said with our first book, like ignorance is bliss. We didn't know how we were going to do it. But it just turned out that Asha's strengths are my weaknesses and vice versa. I'm really the big story weaver and holder. Asha's the emotional depth. So we I'll get a couple of chapters down, send it off to Asha with a bazillion notes. She'll go deeper on the characters. And we just get down that really ugly first draft. But then the actual work of the story is we... As close as we're sitting right now, we sit that close and we read through our manuscript over and over and over out loud to one another. And we don't move beyond a sentence, a paragraph, a word, a comma, unless we both agree. Because, again, we write challenging topics in people and we have to be able to both defend it out in the world. So we have to have absolute skin in the game of every word. You think I, and a lot of that happens, you know, the, the dialogue and those conversations you were talking about that sound so organic, they happen because we can hear them mm -hmm. yeah. back and forth with each other. If we have one of our characters saying, hence this and therefore thou, I mean, I would say, I ain't never heard none of my girlfriends <laughs> talk like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Who I, says perhaps? Well, they're talking <laughs> absolutely no one. So if our authentic conversations, they really are mirrored in our book because we turn them into authentic conversations for our characters. You know, what also rings uh, with just a lot of authenticity is the friendship that your main character, Nina, has with her best girlfriend, Marisol. Again, that's a cross-cultural thing. They've known each other forever. You know, is that... Is there a joy in writing that kind of a relationship? I, I actually loved, without giving away anything, that all the women characters in the book, even if problematic, had had some redeeming quality. I just really, really appreciated that. I feel like there are a lot of books out there now where women are just awful to each other all the time. And so when I read fiction where I 
feel like women are perfect with each other, but they're not awful with each other. I just appreciate it. So thank you for that. But uh, the friendship between Mirasol and Nina, does that, does that reflect your friendship or how you approach friendship? Can I, can I yeah. turn to you, please? You know, um, Asha and I, it's, it's funny because um, books have these very specific silos, right? Thriller, erotica, women's fiction, rom-com. And we call ourselves calm wrong because for, <laughs> uh, we love writing humor, but all, the real love stories in all three of our books are between women friends. And we believe that that is one of the most sustaining loves in any person's life. And then if a romantic uh, love comes along, isn't that wonderful? But that does not ever make our protagonists' lives complete. And so Asha and I are both really fortunate. We have phenomenal um, old friends in our life, but we are also the example of you can make wonderful, loving friends in midlife as well. Often we think like, ah, I have our friends. I don't have the energy to make new friends. But you can still find those people as well in your 30s and your 40s and your 50s and your 60s. So it's kind of a combination of, um, you know, the luck that we've had with our female friendships and that that's the real love that's often the most sustaining. And listen, romance is great. We all, I mean, a little, little romance ain't going to hurt you. But <laughs> I think can't fulfill every emotional need that I have. My husband doesn't want to. <laughs> I, I will never sisters. Yeah, I will never understand the phrase "I married my best friend" because that just seems like, my God, what you—that's asking him to do or her to do an awful lot for you. It, it, it is. sounds like hell. Oh, <laughs> both our husbands are so grateful that we have each other, so that they don't have to do the stuff that they don't want to do. Like listen to each other when we're going through something without solving the problem for our friend. Solve problems. He's guyish that way, mm -hmm. but um, just listening to me and allowing me vent—that's that's why Allie's in my life. I'm sure she's happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, well, okay. So I have to ask, why Pasadena? I get uh, yeah. that was actually my choice. So. A couple reasons. First of all, Ashita um, went to college at Cal Berkeley. I lived in the Bay Area for 20 years. When we started writing, we were both living in Seattle and enmeshed in the private school world. And we did not want to get caught like uh, poor Maria Semple when she came out with Where Did You Go, Bernadette? And her child was in private school in Seattle. And we started writing all four of our children were in private school in Seattle. And the whole the whole town was like, hey, which school is she writing about? Who's she talking about? And because we are so familiar with the Bay Area, um, we decided, okay, our books are just going to be set in California to get away from any just safer. Yeah. yeah. Well, so Leah, Leah, you sent your you sent your first novel in Pasadena. Was there a price to pay for that? I think in, in the private schools. Yeah. No. Uh, so. But again, it's the I didn't realize anyone was going to read my first novel. It's called Helen of Pasadena. And it was about like trying to get your kids into the private high school. And I 
it was a social satire about all the schools in Pasadena. And it was only like a week before where I thought, oh, my God, people I know might read this book. Like, it just <laughs> had not occurred to me. And when it came out, it was like I would go to book clubs and people would have the map on the wall with like, is this school this and this school this? Yep. And I was like, no, it's fiction. It's kind of a joke. I just I undervalued it. But unfortunately, yeah. um, people here did have a sense of humor, but it easily could have gone the other way. I mean, just a couple people were sure I had put their story in the book. And I was like, I don't even know you. What? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would not, I don't know who you are. I always say that Carly Simon bottom you so vain. You probably think this book is so too. Um, but I would also argue that Allie chose not our hometowns so that when we had to go do research, we could get away from our families and kids too. So oh, not <laughs> Yeah. Well, good reason to go on vacation. We had a yeah. great week past during COVID. <laughs> oh, we loved it. Yeah. But also Pasadena was very specific because it's super easy and more common to poke um, holes in private schools in the largest urban areas in the country. But there's this whole other sort of, you know, next tier down of towns, suburbs that are still very white, very wealthy, and even more rare to find a person of color in a position of power. And for us, Pasadena felt like that place. So that's how we ended up with Pasadena. Yeah, I mean, it has more private schools per capita than any school in the country. So like it's it's uh, than any district in the company country. It's uh, but racially, it's probably more balanced than you think, because Pasadena is a pretty big town and racially more balanced. But in a position of power, I don't know. I don't know. It's been a while since my kids have been in school. Yeah, school there. Luckily, you went through that. Yeah. Do, I want to ask about the business end of The Better Half, because I know this is one of the first books out from Mindy Kaling's publishing studio deal at Amazon. And I love Mindy. I've read all of Mindy's books. And of course, love her on TV, The Mindy Project, The Office, Never Have I Ever. So what's it like working with her? And is there a goal of this imprint? Like, is there something that she specifically wanted that you guys delivered? Um, definitely. And it was a, a reason why we sought her out as well. Um, huh? It was her effort to um, to explore and bring to the forefront uh, established and emerging female voices, diverse voices, um, and uh, bring them out to readers. And specifically, I think comedy was on her radar and for us, when you have someone like Mindy Kaling that is such a talent that says, wow, I really like this, it's just, it, it's an amazing feeling of accomplishment. Like, wow, another creative that's so um, gifted in her craft gets what we're doing. So it was very validating to have, you know, basically that compliment of her inviting us into her book studio. That's amazing. I would say, I don't know if you to feel this way, but Ash and I definitely feel this way being in the middle of our life is that, I mean, Mindy's book studio didn't seek us out. We went after them because when you're in the middle of your life, you can sort of get to this place of like, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> they, they, right. Totally, totally. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, lunch. 
Like this is an opportunity. We are middle-aged women trying to get a foothold in the world of comedy, which is not easy. And so this is a potential opportunity. If we get the door slammed, so be it. But if it's open, thank goodness we were asking. Yeah. At our age, I mean, we've had plenty of door slams. Yeah, so that's when you work. But are you still catering? Are you still doing your other jobs? Or has writing become a full-time job for you both? Writing, let me tell you something. Catering is hard on your back. I know. And, it, and I can't even count the burn marks I have. <laughs> but I'm grateful that I did it because it kept me in touch with Allie. In between the time that we started writing and each of us left that school where we worked together, she would call me on some of the um, Jewish holidays. Oh, I cannot cook a brisket to save my life. You have people over for Seder. Yes, I will bring you a brisket. I'm going to learn to cook all the foods just for you. Um, so I'm grateful that it brought me to um, stay in touch with Allie for that reason. But I do it for people I love now. When I go to Allie, okay. I cook a lot. And Ellie, how about you? Are you running a school in addition to this? Yeah. Now, so I had a, um, I had a four-year gig with this school. I wasn't ready to like be another administrator, but I was the visionary for the school. And then there was an on-the-ground person. So we got the first four years of the school up and going and through the pandemic. Um, and then Asha and I started getting, you know, two book deals rather than just one by one. So now um, I'm writing most of the time. And then I work with students applying with their essays, applying to private high schools, boarding schools, college, graduate school. So um, I'm, you know, I'm still working with kids, which I love. And I love students that are in transition times. So I'm getting my my schoolish fill through working individually now. Oh, that's good. That's, that's great. great. Really that's great. See, that's the difference between teachers and administrators and say parents. Like the minute my kids were out of high school, I was like, never, ever, ever do I have to say the words college admissions again. <laughs> think of anything worse than reading somebody else's child's admissions essay. <laughs> Zero interest. <laughs> well, wait, I, let me just say one thing to that. This, both of us, I'm just the only one that do, that's doing it. Is Asha and I, we're, we're very nice women, uh, but we are so insanely competitive on the inside <laughs> and you know with everything that happens with our book but then for me to be side by side with a student I'm like wait these colleges that killed me and they're like you know you're not going right <laughs> you know but I'm like yep I'm a hundred percent a track record with Columbia yeah <laughs> so there, there's okay. L- it fills my competitive soul. And it also keeps a, I mean, Allie does her work with her students and I still dip my toes into um, the school where we both worked. I um, give lessons on various subjects throughout the years of guest speaker at the school. Um, and it's because that it still fills our, our bucket up to work with kids. Wherever we go when we're on a book tour or visiting someplace, we offer gratis our our presence at a school, if they want us to come in from reading storybooks out loud to the smaller kids to um, uh, talking to the older kids who are maybe in a magazine club or journalism club about the business of writing. 
So um, it's something that we try to keep our 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 toes into. It's it's a great touchstone for our hearts. Once an educator, always an educator. You can't help it. <laughs> thank thank goodness for you. I am <laughs> <I'm> grateful. <laughs> um, you have a big summer plan. It looks like you're going to a lot of fun places. Uh, we will put the link to Ev, to your website um, in our show notes if people want to check out if they're going to be in your area. They are coming to Pasadena. Uh, yeah, I will not be here. Yeah. I will. I'm sorry to miss it. I looked at the date. I'm like, oh shoot, I'm gone. You're going to the new Octavia's bookstore, and that's wonderful. And then Zibby's out in Santa Monica, but I'm out of town that weekend. But um, I hope you in- good. What's that? I hope you're doing something good. Fun. Yes, vacationing. Actually, I'm okay. working on another book and vacation. Uh, but yes, vacationing. So, um, so Zibby's uh, is right in my neighborhood. So maybe yeah. I can make it down. Liz, you could swing by. Yeah, yeah. it's right across the street from the Satellite Sisters post office box. Little yes. <laughs> fact. That's our block. <laughs> anyway, we loved this book. I, I love wish my- you all the best. Have a fantastic uh, pub week. I hope you can celebrate its success. It's just a wonderful book. Allie Frank and Asher Yeomans, thank you so much for being here. The book is The Better Half. It's one of the Satellite Sisters Best Beach Bag Books of 2023. Pick it up and you'll see why. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Liz and Leanne here, and we want to thank Pros for supporting this episode of Satellite Sisters. Now, you know, Liz, I've been out and about with my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical. Mm-hmm. The book is getting rave reviews. I'm very happy. But you know what else is getting rave reviews? My hair, Liz. My hair from Pros is getting <laughs> rave reviews. Leanne, I am not surprised. You have been on that Pros hair regimen for quite a while. I mean, you have good hair anyway, but now you have great hair because you've really paid attention to it. Well, Liz, pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And you know what? I love the regimen they have me on. Do I take the hair vitamins every day? Yes, I do. Do I use my shampoo and conditioner made especially for Leon Dolan? Yes, I do. Do I sometimes use the leave-in conditioner when my hair is really dry? I do. And I even have a pre-scalp thing that they give me. Okay, pros, you're the boss. I'll take it. (laughs) You tell me what my hair needs. That sounds good. And here's the thing. It's personalization, Liz. For yeah. millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely Leans. Okay, and I'm I'm using it. Pros mm-hmm. isn't just better for you; it's also better for the planet, Liz. They're certified B Corp, cruelty free, and the first and only carbon neutral custom beauty brand. So, Pros, we love you. I love the photos of my hair. Couldn't be happier. <laughs> photos of your hair. There are people in the photos too. That's the thing about a book tour. Everybody yeah. has their picture taken with Leon and then post it. So yeah. the hair is important. <laughs> Couldn't be happier, Pros. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin. They're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com sisters. So you get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash sisters. And pros is spelled P-R-O-S-E, pros.com slash sisters. Thanks, pros. Liz and Leanne here, and we are so grateful to have Osea support Satellite Sisters. Why? Because it's just a great product. Holy cow, do we, we love Osea's skin and body care. And you know what? This Mother's Day, 
Just look no further than Osea. Spoil the moms in your life with the little luxuries from Osea. The moms, the stepmoms, the bonus moms, the people who bring a touch of something special to your life, aunts, grandmothers, they would love a little Osea this Mother's Day. And you can get 10% off your first order by using our code SATSISTERS at OseaMalibu.com. And Liz, you know what every mother and mother figure needs? What? More moisture, Liz. They need more moisture in their skin. <laughs> in no their kidding. skin. I mean, really, the creams, the lotions, the oils. I love it all. That duo they have going. Oh. Like, you can't miss with the duo of Osea. Liz, the mega moisture duo. Yes. You can you can literally see your skin get firmer. And it just delivers <laughs> this full body glow. Okay, you know we have raved about the Andaria Algae Body Oil. Mm-hmm. Well, pair that with the Andaria Collagen Body Oil. Youthful, Liz. A youthful glow is going to (laughs) happen. And it's infused with Osea's signature Andaria seaweed. So it just smells so delicious, doesn't it? I know you're talking about giving it as a gift. I also suggest just giving it to yourself (laughs) because you're worth it. (laughs) That's that's true. That is absolutely true. Okay, that moisture duo I mentioned too is a great value because you can save 16% plus the extra 10% with our code Sad Sisters. So this is it. This is a win-win-win Mother's Day gift. Spoil the moms in your life with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code Sat Sisters at oseamalibu.com. And you get free samples in every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Osea is spelled O-S-E-A. So head on over to oseamalibu.com and use code SATSISTERS for 10% off. Thanks, Osea. We are so happy to welcome on this holiday week, uh, Cynthia Graubart. She is a James Spirit Award-winning author of Zucchini Love and Blueberry Love. She is a great cooking teacher. I really, really enjoy her Instagram account. And I am excited to talk to her about her new cookbook, Zucchini Love. Hi, Cynthia. Welcome to Satellite Sisters. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Um, Okay, so I read in the book's foreword that you really weren't that excited when your editor suggested zucchini as the topic for your next cookbook. And Liz, I believe you have a confession to make, right? I have a confession to make, Cynthia. It is just, zucchini is so much my least favorite food. And there's nothing I don't eat except that if somebody actually gives me a choice and I can opt out of zucchini, I automatically just opt out of zucchini. Maybe you can explain why. What, uh, maybe, is it just always poorly cooked? Is it always, you know, not in something tasty? You, I'm going to allow you to sell me on zucchini. Okay. You, first of all, you are not alone. So I'm okay. sure that there are other listeners who are thinking to themselves right at this very moment, Oh, boring zucchini. But let me tell you, I had more fun developing recipes for zucchini that I thought would draw people in to this fantastic, very prolific summer vegetable. It, first of all, it plays well with others. So <laughs> zucchini, zucchini doesn't have to be all by itself. It, zucchini and tomatoes. Fabulous combination. Okay. Zucchini, zucchini and corn love each other. And every summer herb is just 
dying to play with zucchini. You just have to give them the opportunity to play together. Okay. Okay. I'm warming up to this idea. This is why you're a James Beard winning author. Okay. (laughs) Tell us more, Cynthia. (laughs) So for example, if you, um, so I love to grill zucchini and I thought, okay, what else is happening when zucchini first starts coming out? Well, it's peach season in Georgia. So I took peaches and I cut them in half, cut out the stone, and I grilled the open cut side and I grilled zucchini and I, uh, and zucchini that I sliced lengthwise thinly and, you know, brushed them both with a little olive oil got them on the grill, made nice, good grill marks on there and got grill flavor and served it on a bed of arugula and did a balsamic glaze drizzle on top. And it is wonderful. It just Liz, come on, Liz, that sounds delicious. And has a lot of your signature ingredients, including the balsamic glaze, Liz. Come on. Balsamic glaze I'm down with and grilled fruit I'm down with. So- Okay. All right. You have me on the hook, Cynthia. You got me. Okay. So now that I've got you on the hook, so let's just look at what happens in that recipe to make it delicious. You've got, first of all, you got the cooking method. So things on the grill already taste better. We all know that. The arugula has got that peppery uh, flavor to it. Um, it also is, you know, a bright, fun flavor that um, that really it asks for something really special to play with it. And that's what I thought about the peaches. So you've got the sweet and the savory. And this is the great thing I didn't know about zucchini, other than zucchini bread that everybody knows, but it really can shine in sweet things. So we tend to think of it as savory only, just as a side dish. Oh, what else am I going to have? I've got this dumb zucchini that I picked up from the grocery store. <laughs> and that's true. And so you forced on me. And now you know, forced on me. <laughs> you know, how we, why is it that we buy things that we think we must have because just because we, you know, we must have it, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's some unwritten rule that, you know, I guess I need a zucchini. Well, okay. So instead of just, doing nothing with the zucchini, letting it rot, and then throwing it away, which, come on, we've all done. Um, that's what I do. Let's, you've got to do something fun with it. So that's why the peaches came to mind. And so if you start thinking about it with, okay, what else can we put with zucchini to make it exciting? Uh, the, the same thing happens with tomatoes. So the tomatoes and zucchini, in fact, the zucchini almost disappears uh, when you've got it with tomatoes. Um, so it's just a vehicle for bulk and color. And then there's some flavor to it, but the tomatoes really shine and, and, and the zucchini is just like a supporting player there. Um, so, it, um, I, uh, I did lemon zucchini donuts. See that Liz, lemon, I know you don't make a lot of donuts, Liz, but you, you know, lemon, oh, I would eat it. Yeah. If somebody made that for me. <laughs> Sure, I would eat that. You would not turn it down, now, would you? No. 
You can Liz, now. it's even a zucchini uh, smoothie. I know you're part of the zucchini lifestyle list. Do you think yes. a zucchini blueberry smoothie could could interest you now that you know? Yes, yes. I okay. I I might even try that. I think that's a good idea, Leanne. The the smoothie so, lifestyle the smoothie lifestyle does allow you to hide a lot of vegetables you wouldn't otherwise eat. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we don't really have to think of it as hiding. So you're adding nutrition to that smoothie with zucchini. Zucchini cup for cup has more potassium than a banana, which people do not know. It's full of vitamin A, B, and C. So zucchini is really a nutritious vegetable. We think of it as just kind of nothing. Uh, Right. it, but it really does have nutritional value. And you put it in a smoothie with fantastic wild main blueberries. You can buy frozen all year round. Uh, and you've got really this dynamic flavored smoothie, but you've got all this extra nutrition in there that's, you know, that's wholesome and, you know, it's, it, it, it's not off the shelf. You know, it's out of the garden, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So, Cynthia, I had to make this is Leanne and I had to make a bunch of dietary changes because I had a colon cancer diagnosis four years ago. And so wow. a lot of my go to veggies like broccoli, cauliflower, really tough for me to eat now, do not enjoy. So that is when I re-embraced zucchini. And so because I found that it was like really flexible, I have to say I was sucked in by the zoodles, which I think is fantastic PR for zucchini, that you can make, you know, noodles out of zucchini. So I got sucked in. But then I found myself making all these new zucchini dishes. I make zucchini like three or four times a week. I mean, I can't believe it. Just this weekend, I had zucchini and I had your beautiful book, Zucchini Love, and I made those delicious sautéed zucchini ribbons with fresh herbs. I mean, Liz, I'm telling you, that zucchini, it has like a, it has breadcrumbs with pesto and panko. Absolutely delicious, Liz. A lot of flavor Mm -hmm. there. So, okay, what's the key to getting the best out of zucchini? Is it just salt? (laughs) 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 Okay, you discovered the secret. Uh, Yeah. So salt is super important with zucchini. And a couple of things about salt, though, because salting, you don't need to salt zucchini and put it in a colander and let it sit to drain. That That's an, like sort of an old-fashioned idea about drying out zucchini. Oh, okay. uh, so it, that's not really necessary. In fact, I don't... I, I, don't salt the zucchini when I first start cooking it. I add salt later. And particularly with zucchini, oh. it, zucchini does need a lot of salt. And when you when your dish is finished, before you serve it, taste it one more time and adjust the seasonings because zucchini does tend to uh, to soak up that salt. And, in, and particularly if you're going to use some of my no-cook dishes this was right i that surprised me i didn't realize you could eat zucchini without cooking it i was surprised by some of these you don't have to cook it and which is uh, you know it's what i want to do in the summer i just want to cut and toss and that's dinner so it's so easy to do and you don't have to heat up the kitchen but yes no cook zucchini is fantastic uh get a great marinade uh i've got um a marinated zucchini salad that has fresh mint in it. 
and ah, and I use both the yellow squash and the zucchini. So it's yellow and green, and then the green mint leaves. Oh, uh, and, and uh, some garlic in there, and uh, just a vinaigrette. It's to die for. Um, the the zoodle corn salad um, is the the zucchini noodles, um, which you don't cook. You cut corn fresh off the cob. Don't cook that. And thinly slice some onion. And if you can get a sweet onion, that's even better. And then make a buttermilk herb dressing with buttermilk and some parsley and basil and some fresh dill. It tastes like air conditioning. It a good okay. <laughs> so you get that salad. You get that salad really cold. You get that dressing really cold when you mix them together. And oh man, it is so refreshing. It's a really one. And I'm gotta tell you, people that are on the fence about zucchini or even kind of shy away from it, they absolutely love this recipe. And I've been serving it as a main dish. Just putting some grilled chicken on the top and oh, perfect. Okay. This, see, that sounds delicious too. Now, but Cynthia, you you have written a bunch of these single ingredient cookbooks. You've done strawberries, yeah. you've done blueberries, now you've done zucchini. Do you start to get kind of punchy at the end of the process? Like anything zucchini sounds great to you. <laughs> have you lost your perspective on zucchini is what I'm asking. Well, okay. That's that's fair enough. That's that's a fair question. However, doing single subject books, I absolutely love to do them because you get a deep dive into one thing and it really helps you focus and it really helps you concentrate on, okay, what are all the ways I can be using this ingredient? Um, thinking of, of ways that haven't been done before or maybe haven't been done very well, uh, new combinations. It's I, it's really fun to do a deep dive on a, on a single ingredient. And in fact, it's hard to cut it down to size. Oh. I, I get carried away. I just get, I have so much fun because I, I look at the whole picture. How can I use this ingredient every meal? Okay. So that's why we've got the zucchini blueberry smoothie for breakfast. That's why we have... We have a zucchini pie, a sweet zucchini pie for dessert, and absolutely everything in between. I noticed in your blueberry book I was reviewing today uh, that there's even blueberry vodka. So I was wondering, is <laughs> zucchini vodka next? Zucchini vodka. Is there anything there? <laughs> okay. So uh, true confession, my biggest regret is that I did not do a cocktail in this book. Oh, and oh okay. So I have made it my business to create a zucchini cocktail and um and i've given myself an artificial deadline of labor day so um i hope to have it perfected before labor day but uh that that's my absolute deadline so i intend to do a lot of practicing between now and then (laughs) good i do grow your own zucchini there in maine you know what it's not quite hot enough to get a really good crop growing. Um, I do have, um, I'm, I'm doing an experiment this summer. I bought, um, I bought some zucchini that was already started in a, you know, a four inch, uh, pot pack and I planted it. And of course it is a nothing but for the last week, but rain. Oh, <laughs> so, no. I know. 
So I do not know how this is going to turn out, but I thought, you know what? I want to give this a try. See if I can get enough sun, enough heat for that, for that to get going. Cynthia, Uh, I'm always, I'm always curious with people who do what you do, developing recipes for your own books. How many big fails do you have? Like, is there zucchini something that you tried and tried and tried and just could not make work? That's a, that's an excellent question. You know, I've written probably a couple of thousand recipes now in my career. So I'm fortunate to say that the fails are few and far between only because I just have such a body of knowledge already that I know at the get-go whether or not something's going to go in the right direction. And not to say that, you know, that there are no failures, but, um, but actually with the zucchini, I can't think of one at the moment that comes to mind that just flat out didn't no. work. So the, um, the key yeah. the key is obviously what you said, body of knowledge, which is something I do not have. So <laughs> thank, thank, goodness, thank goodness you're out there doing what I'm out here doing the Lord's work. What can I <laughs> You're doing it. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I it's just a it, it's just the way it is having having written so many recipes and have the discipline of of testing and and already having a base of things that do go together and don't necessarily go well together then you know I'm starting off at a, a different level when I go to develop a recipe I'm not throwing I'm not throwing zoodles at the wall <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can't say enough about um, Cynthia's books. First of all, they're just beautifully shot. They're fun to write. They're fun to read. Um, they're they're simple. They're paperbacks, but they have those nice flaps at the end so you can flap your recipes. Uh, it would be a great hostess gift. So you can order a couple of them or all three of them. That would be a fantastic hostess gift if you're going to see someone this summer staying by their house and just want to, you know, want to give them the gift of zucchini because who doesn't? Um uh, so, and, and Cynthia is kind enough to share some of these recipes. So look for recipes in the show notes and also in our newsletter this week and pep talk, we'll be including some of these zucchini recipes. But Cynthia, before you go, we have to ask you about your perfect summer meal. What, you know, when you think about like the best meal, the quintessential summer meal, what is it for you? Well, because I get to enjoy Maine in the summer, I've got to say that lobster. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Perfect summer meal. And I towards the end of the summer, before before the light starts turning, uh, and it's still nice and warm, that the fresh corn comes in. And when you've got fresh corn and a freshly boiled lobster and you've got that drawn butter, um, I bring a little bit of the south with me and 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 make uh and make a coleslaw to go to go with. That is my quintessential perfect summer meal for me. Oh, that sounds delicious. Sounds delicious. We just have terrible corn here in California. I will say that. We grow many wonderful things, but corn here is like animal food and it's not. I I think they give the cows the best corn. Don't you listen? And I think think West Coast tomatoes are not so great either. Having grown in New England, Cynthia, we grew up with like just beautiful, big, beefy, you know, Connecticut tomatoes, and they were just so flavorful. We don't get that here. We yeah, don't the best, the best corn I've ever had in my life was when we briefly lived in upstate New York, 
And here in Maine, at the very tail end of the summer, we get just a very short window of the most fabulous tomatoes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whereas in the South, we're used to a very long growing season and, and tomatoes all summer long, we wait for them and just cannot, we just count the days that are warm enough to produce these wonderful tomatoes. And then we just gorge on them. Uh, <laughs> and, and they're, and they're the best I've ever eaten. So. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, next summer, Liz, Maine. There you go. For tomatoes to corn just at the end of the season. We'll be by the sweet pod for that. Open invitation. Open invitation. <laughs> Thank you so much to our guests, Cynthia Graubart. Her books are Zucchini Love and Blueberry Love and Strawberry Love and many, many others. There'll be links in the show notes. Thanks, Cynthia. Such a pleasure. Thank you.